everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're abandoning our boring lives on this dying planet Earth because we're going not just to space, we're going to Pandora to join the Navi as James Cameron intended. That's right. We are reviewing the recent re-release of James Cameron's Avatar. We're going to start with a quick icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review of the film, and then we'll provide a final verdict on whether this film holds up well or not. And I know what you're thinking. Spoiler-free, the movie came out like 13 years ago. Well, maybe there are some of you out there who've forgotten the details, or you haven't seen it, or you don't remember anything, which is a common occurrence among people who have seen Avatar, I have discovered. So we're going to keep it light at first, but we're going to go really have an in-depth conversation in the spoiler section. And uh, joining me today is such an exciting panel. I I say this because the dynamics could not be more perfect, that I'm sitting here thinking, I would do an Avatar re-release podcast, but I don't know anyone who hasn't seen the movie until... I discovered, pure coincidence, Alexandra Bohannon, formerly host here on the Cinematic Schematic soundtrack, had not seen James Cameron's Avatar. I didn't. I hadn't. And until I was like, this. this is it. And so I was like, Alex, we, we, need, we need to podcast together again anyway, because it's been a couple of years. So I was like, this is the perfect opportunity. Oh, yeah. So Alex, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Hi, thank you for having me. And yes, somehow I didn't see Avatar. Impressive. I, yeah. I mean, 2009, what? We were all graduating high school. Yep. The theater in my hometown was like a barn in the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. You, you've you you've been to that theater in, in Chickasha? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I watched that, uh, Paranormal Activity 2 there. Yeah, yeah. Know. It's one of the smallest theaters. I think Caleb's podcast recording room is approximately the same size of as this metal shed. Um, maybe definitely, a little larger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely don't think uh, the wow, the grander factor would have been if I had seen it there in theaters. And uh, yeah, totally missed it. Well, I think it worked out fine, Alex, because it was leading you to this moment in which 13 years later, you could talk about how you haven't seen the movie because you're a unicorn at this point. This is the highest grossing movie of all time. It's, uh, I don't, not not in, adjusted for inflation, so there have been more tickets sold for other movies. We'll get into that later. But anyway, highest grossing movie of all time. I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon in 2009. And as we're going to talk about in this discussion, you know, we're going to talk about whether or not it's still a cultural phenomenon in 2022. So, so happy to have you here. Also joined, as you can hear, ladies and gentlemen, by Daniel Bo Kemper of thecinematropolis.com. Daniel, welcome back to the Cinemax Schematic. Let's keep it short, fellas. I want to be home in time for supper. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to act like the colonel the entire podcast, but it's going to be very hard. So apologies in fans. But no, don't don't apologize. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on this this uh, fantastic journey to uh, Pandora, which I forgot uh, existed uh, very quickly. I think a lot of people After did. After 2009. And, and Daniel, so Daniel, you have, in fact, seen James Cameron's Avatar. I have. Okay. Twi- twice now. Twice now. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Well, we'll get more detailed uh, on our perspectives here in a bit. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into today's in-depth discussion covering Avatar, I just wanted to, to note that if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the conversation, the best way you can support us is by sending us unobtainium in the mail. I will have... <laughs> That uh, address in the show notes. Um, but first, before you send us the unobtainium, you need to subscribe to, uh, to the podcast and leave us a rating and review on your preferred podcast app, most specifically Apple or Spotify. Uh, it really helps us get discovered by more listeners like yourself. 
Um, real quick, Alex, it's been a while since you've been on. I just want to do a general check-in. How's life? How are you? How are things? Oh, life, life's great. Um, pan- pandemic really, really did a thing to the world, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with everything. I'm slowly going back to theaters, and uh, we were talking about before the show show occurred that I uh, went and just saw Bros in theater. Very fun film. Um, and yeah, just kind of getting back in the habit of doing the movie thing, and then catching up on some stuff that I kind of slept on, like what we did in the shadows. Fantastic television program, things like that. So that's kind of where I'm at, vibing around. So much good TV, I will say. A that lot like, of like TV. infinite TV. Like so much so that it's it's overwhelming. Whenever we finish a show, it's like, what do we watch next? And we have a show that like a list that's like we have a spreadsheet we keep back. Spreadsheet, yes, hundred <laughs> percent. And then it's like gotten so long. We still have Peaky Blinders that's been on there for like three years. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and I, I still want to watch it. And uh, then there's like legacy TV that you're like, oh man, because we did the Sopranos last year. Yep. And it's like, well, we need to do the wire now yep. sometime. Just want to shout out uh reservation dogs completely oh, overpowered the rings of power for me really um, and derailed my viewing of that i'll come back to it because i've heard the rings of power picks up shout out to reservation dogs just it is fantastic season two it's great stuff made by an oklahoma filmmaker sterling harjo and yeah uh, produced by taika watiti also of what we do in the shadows fame. yeah so uh, nice yeah prob- i see outdoor boards for the show everywhere mm-hmm. around here yeah and there's a handful like i i don't want to name any names but there's a handful of people i know who are I know in my personal life who are credited on that show. So it, nice, it does gainfully employ Oklahoma filmmakers. But this is not a TV podcast. No. Well, although there are a lot of great TV shows out there, this is a film review film analysis podcast. And today we are talking about James Cameron's Avatar. And we're going to kick things off with our icebreaker discussion. So in honor of unobtainium, I'm asking you two, what is the name of your favorite fictional mineral element or substance and why? Daniel Bokemper, I'm throwing it to you. It's got to be one, and it's got to be the one that is absolutely necessary for space travel. I'm talking about the spice melange from Dune. Uh, Yeah, it's just so important. It animates the entire epic, the spice. Um, It's a a drug that, again, facilitates everything that happens in the world. Um, It is the most important mineral, and I want some goddamn spice coffee. Real bad. I do not care about the consequences. Daniel, it's pumpkin spice. It's here every year. <laughs> no way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've been resisting it. This oh my time. gosh. I love it. So Daniel picks the spice. Alexander Bohannon, how about you? Okay, so I back up. Uh rings of power. So one thing I didn't realize is that Tolkien created the concept of mithril. And that mithril is just in every fantasy setting now, and everyone accepts it as like mithril's like the the best metal to make all of your fancy stuff out of. And that came from Tolkien. It didn't come from anywhere else and everyone accepts it. So yeah, you have to you have to go with mithril because it's like it's a foundational element of so many fantasy settings. And I honestly had no idea until I'm watching Rings of Power with a, a Lord of the Rings nerd group that uh, that like it's that creative process that came from his brain. Amazing. Also just that word, like unobtainium is kind of like, Oh, it's literally the worst word in the world. (laughs) Mythical and mineral put together. Listen, I I mean, I think Tolkien, I mean, he wrote the book on fantasy. I mean, he gave us high fantasy, invented all sorts of, I mean, wrote the dude wrote languages before he started the story. Okay. 
So I'm just saying, I think it's it's impressive, and we got to give credit where credit's due. That Tolkien can name some shit. I mean, come on, even the country is Mordor, Gondor, Rohan. He's great at names, like the mouthfeel of all the words that he comes up with. It's just it feels so like real, raw, legitimate, and then you have you can c- contrast it with James Cameron, and he just comes up with these words like Pandora, and uh, well, he didn't come up with the word Pandora, but he certainly heavy-handedly named his planet after it. I don't even know if he came up with unobtainium originally, <laughs> like, if so, we're being real. <laughs> I, I mean, I, might, I think the thing that's the hardest part about Tolkien for me is honestly names more than anything, like yeah. Calabrimbar. He gets crazy, yes. Yeah, it's, it's just, uh, not, and they're not bad names, they're no. actually very very detailed and logical, but I, I lose track. Yeah. It's yeah, been, that's probably absolutely. my biggest challenge. Yeah. Uh, I am going to go with, I thought about going with Vespian gas. Cause I just loved when I played Starcraft and the guy's like, would you cry more Vespian gas? <laughs> you know? Um, but I'm going to go with the Kyber crystal. Okay. It's a star Wars lightsabers. Oh, yeah. Also yeah. the, uh, substance that powers the death star beams that blows up the planets. The death star is a giant lightsaber. Uh, the little, yeah. beam, the little beams. That, that is come out. wild. Yeah, I didn't know it's that. It's the same source. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the same thing that fuels the lightsaber. It's, it takes quite a lot of it to, to blow up a planet, but yeah, yeah. That, that's what fuels. It was one of the elements that fuels the death star death beam. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, we didn't mention in TV, but it's top of mind. Uh, Andor is on Disney plus and, Guys, guys, Andor is the best thing to happen to Star Wars since The Last Jedi. It's okay. So, it's like, what if we did Star Wars, but it didn't feel like Star Wars and it was for adults? And there's like politics, there's In- spy shenanigans, there's intrigue. And okay. I mean, I say for adults, like it's still kid friendly, yeah, but yeah. but the uh, the show is very much interested in like, hey, why does one join a rebellion and how do you form that? What's the politics of it or whatnot? It is a slow burn. So I want to make it clear. And that's again, I I, I love it because there's not been a, four episodes in, no lightsabers, like it's none of the stuff you would expect in Star Wars is, is there, and it follows Cassian Andor, a character I didn't give two shits about, frankly. Well, I was gonna so, say, can you can you watch it like independently of uh like do you need to revisit Rogue One? No, I mean really I did, it. but I don't think you need to. Okay, no, yeah, no. If anything, it's probably gonna end up enhancing Rogue One. So uh, I will say it's the first Star Wars show that I will I I I will say with like no asterisks recommend. If you're interested in like political dramas or whatever. Uh, but anyway, so Kyber Crystals, uh, very relevant content there. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Wait a minute, one more. I'm sorry. Nobody said Chaos Emerald from Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, and oh, no one said up. Kryptonite. That is Kryptonite. <gasps> Either. Kryptonite, you're right. Kryptonite's pretty good. Yeah. Three Doors Down Chaos wrote that Emerald. song for no reason. I thought, <laughs> of, I thought about Spiritual Stones from Zelda, but I don't know if okay. that's, is that the substance Spiritual Stone? I don't know. Is the Triforce made of anything? That's a great question. It's made is of it? courage, wisdom, and power. Dan. That's oh, right. Okay. Oh, it is. Yes. It's made of the most important things of all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't talk about the bricks from the Mario. You know, those oh, are yeah, pretty yeah. powerful substances, too. Uh, I think James Cameron really just wanted to go mine some shrooms on Pandora. <laughs> yes. he, just, he just misnamed, mislabeled as unobtainium. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what is your favorite fictional mineral element or substance and why you can tell us by sending us an email to the cinematropolis at gmail.com or hitting us up on our social media channels, including facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or on Twitter at the cinematrop. Let us know. I want to hear your thoughts. And uh, if you do might have a chance to be read on the next episode, let's get to a re-review of James Cameron's avatar. You Jake Sully. I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. 
became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Nabi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it. You get your legs back, your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. According to IMDb, James Cameron's avatar is described as a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. So a few fun facts about Avatar. So I just wanted to, as I noted earlier, but this movie came out December 18th, 2009. So just under 13 years ago, there are people who were almost teenagers now have, have almost grown into teenagers since the last one came out. Meaning there's an entire generation of people who probably haven't seen this movie, at least not in the theater. Uh, the film grossed has to this point grossed 2.88 billion retaining its title as the highest grossing movie of all time after Avengers Endgame very briefly claimed that title in 2019. But see, during the pandemic, they're like, what if we re-release Avatar in China? And they did, and it put it back over. And then they re-released it again. Also, this has been a running gag uh, for most of my adult life. <laughs> there are more Avatar sequels coming. In fact, there are four sequels for a total of five movies that are planned. And I just think it's, I want to note this because the scope of these sequels has changed dramatically over the years. The first sequel, The Way of Water, was originally scheduled to be released in 2014, and then 2016, and then 2018, and then it was delayed. Also, it was only, it was originally a trilogy that became four movies, and then so at some point, they're like five movies. And, and James Cameron has said a number of things like, oh, they all stand on their own, while also saying, it's part of one big story. So anyway, just mixed signals from J James Cameron. But uh, hey, what I will say is the actors for this new one, Way of Water, apparently like had to they fully trained scuba diving so they could act while swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Zoe uh, Zo Saldana uh, learned how to hold her breath for up to five minutes. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 So again, James Cameron committed to the craft. Uh, and we all know uh, how much he loves going under the sea. And that was a big inspiration for the the sequel, The Way of Water. I can't wait for part three when we get to see them act while skydiving. That, so oh, that's actually the logical next step. <laughs> Extreme sports, the film series. We get pretty close of <laughs> so skydiving in this one, in the first one. That's true. We could, that's I mean, true. We could we do more for sure. But yeah. 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 I, I just want to start by asking the group how we saw the movie to provide a little context. And then we'll kind of dive into each one of our individual reviews here. Um, so Daniel Bo Kemper, how did you just really quickly, how did you watch this film this for this review? 
I watched the extended cut at home, and I wish it was de-extended. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> actually, twenty-five minutes. Okay, so what was extended? I need to know. Uh, I think oh, it's. For, I, well, yeah. so I hadn't seen. I lied at the start. Actually, I think I've seen this film a total of three times. Um, once originally um, in two thousand nine. I think I saw it again in two thousand eleven, early, and then I saw it uh, just now, recently, the extended cut. Um, just a few days ago. And I think what is different, I assume that it's like really front loaded. So there, there's two sequences. I was talking to, to Caleb earlier, and I think the bulk of the time is taken up by Jake Soley's like, there's like a, a 10 minute like segment that I do not remember being in the original film where he's like in the city streets, he's in a bar. Yeah, he's none of that. Yeah, no, no. Nope. He's like, I'm just down on my luck and my everybody loves my it's very brother. Blade Runner-esque world. Yeah, huh. and it doesn't look unique. It, it looks like a science fiction setting we've seen a uh, hundred times before, which kind of sucks for Avatar. But it does like prime you for Pandora because you're gonna, like it's almost like kind of fun how it serves as that anchor. But at the same time, one of my major problems with this film is just the 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 over exposition, the over narration of like the video logs and the the voiceover yeah. narration, and like I feel like this version adds even more of that. Oh, God. Um, and then there's like a chase, there's like an action sequence um, that uh, we'll talk about a little bit later about involving this like stampede hunt. So to recap, you saw it for the first time. In theaters came yeah. out. You saw it a second time in theaters, and then just for this review this week, you watched. Oh, the... I never saw it a second time at theaters. Oh, oh it was at home. At home. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So second time at home, and then the third time is the first time you'd seen the extended, extended cut. Extended cut. Yeah. Okay. And you watched that at home. At home as okay. well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Alexandra Bohannon. Hi. How, what was your experience watching this film? Like, how did you see this film? I should. Well, I saw it with you and a group of lovely other individuals. It was super um, fun, by the yeah. way. It was a fun group. Uh, we went down to the Warren and Moore, um, which is just a theater that has a really nice IMAX experience. Uh, so we saw an IMAX 3D. It was like at 9.40 or something. We went to the late Very, show. very late. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, an experience. And yeah, I think that's, I'm very curious having you've seen it in theaters and at home, like, does it lose the zhuzh? <laughs> like the, the wow, the I mean, it, it unfortunately it lost a little bit of zhuzh from uh, <laughs> just like not seeing it in 10 years, like it being oh, 10 years yeah. removed. I will say, um, and we'll dig into this in a little bit minute, I, in a minute, but I, I do think like it still is, it, it, from what we're seeing today is especially with like Marvel films and even the more recent star Wars films and stuff like that. I would almost say with like the exception of, we keep bringing TV back into this, but with the <laughs> exception of like rings of power, I feel like that seems like kind of a step in a different direction that I haven't seen as far as visual effects are concerned. And whereas this, it, it avatar seems to almost with the exception of a few things seems to still hold that magic. The, the CG, especially yeah, the, the, only, the only films that I think look better are films that rely more on like practical effects, like Mad Max Fury yeah. Road, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or any Christopher Nolan movie. It, but exactly. like, but again, those aren't really leaning on CG. No, though. they're not. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. So it's still like, yes, it still, still has that going for it. I think it still seems it, it visually impressive in a home, theatrical. even in a home setting. Okay. Yeah. okay. I was actually wondering if that would hold up at all. At oh home. yeah. I was, I was as well. That was a big question for me. Um, so I saw this film in 2009 at IMAX in Indianapolis. That's how long ago this was. I still went back to Indiana when I was in college. Yay. I was after my first uh, semester, uh, of my freshman year of college, uh, to date my age myself a little bit there. Um, and then I, gosh, 
I might have seen it again in the theater. I don't remember, though, because I remember every time I advocated for seeing it again in that theatrical run, there were uh, that was, if I recall correctly, a really competitive Christmas season because I want to say the, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes came out that same year. There was a lot of other movies. It was actually quite a... Uh, a Christmas season at the movies, like a bunch of movies came out and they all made tons of money. Um, so anyway, I, I, I want to say, was there a Tarantino movie that came out that year? Maybe Django Unchained. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. No, no. That was a little Django. later. That was like no. 2011 that was or 2012. No, that was 2012. Right? Yeah, you're yeah. right. So maybe it was Inglorious Bastards. I don't know. There was something mm. else. But anyway, I only saw it. The I, I'm pretty sure I only saw it the one time in that original theatrical mm. run. I can't remember seeing it in the theaters again. I do remember I bought, I was really excited about the director's cut when it came out on Blu-ray and I bought it like the day it came out and I watched the director's cut one time and I don't think I've seen the movie since. And that was at roughly 10 years ago when that uh, 10 to 11 years ago when I bought the, the director's cut on Blu-ray, which I still have, but I've only watched it one time. You know, all that said, rewatching it in the IMAX uh, this time was, was, was a real treat. Cause I was, I was genuinely like, well, one, I knew you hadn't seen it. And some of our other folks who were with us hadn't seen it in the at all. And two, I was like, man, I was really curious about how well the, the VFX were going to hold up Yeah, because of my memory. I was like, yeah, magical, like just crazy impressive. But you know how all these things work. It's like going back to play PS3 games that you thought at the time were amazing, but you look back and like, you're like, oh, this is actually not as good as I remember. I thought this would be a case of that. That was not the case. More details in a second. Yeah. So Alex <laughs> Bohannon, I, I want to start with you here because you, as we've already pointed out, you're in the unique position of being a person who has a lot of film opinions on the internet uh, <laughs> and just film opinions in general. Um, I love it. I love having opinions online. I know, but I'm just saying like <laughs> people who have opinions on the internet usually see everything or they, uh, or they see the really popular stuff oh, yeah. and, you, and you have not. So yeah. uh, what did you think of James Cameron's Avatar? Wow, guys, I, I was like, what to unpack first? So, okay, let's first talk visuals, then we can come back and talk to other about other things. Um, yeah, the visual experience, I had the same thought that it was going to be, oh, yeah, there's going to be like PS3 graphics and it's going to be polygons and kind of rough and whatever. None of that. Yeah, it was gorgeous, beautiful, stunning, 3D, masterfully done. Like, I, I mean, there is zero... The complaints I have, which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit, were when they were upscaling frame rate in the theater um, to like, it, it looked very jarring. But all of the stuff that I, I don't know what restoration process they did or if they did any touch ups or modernized anything for the re-release uh, for this year. Gorgeous. I, I mean, there's like absolutely zero complaints. That brings me to my next point. Can you talk about this movie as art is my big takeaway from watching this movie because basically any problems I have with this movie in terms of story, in terms of character development, in terms of literally anything else that makes a movie a movie, everyone's like, well, but, but, but the visuals and it, that's where they spend all their time is the visuals and how beautiful and the technology, my God, it took 10 years for them to, you know, that's where we go when we start talking about this movie. And I'm like, great. Okay. So if we pretend that these Navi, like the Navi were a real species of people, that Pandora was real. Let's pretend all of these things were actually real. And let's like treat this as because because the visual effects are so good that you you really can't see that they're different. Even when, um, gosh, I always forget the main uh, hero's love interest, what her name is, when she's holding him in his human form. Yeah, what uh, is it? Zoe Saldana is the actress. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when Zoe's. I've got it. 
I shouldn't even try. I was like, if I try, yeah, there we go. Natiri is on my notes. So it's like when she's holding him and I thought that would look weird. It looked beautiful. I have no complaints. So it's like, okay, let's pretend they're all real. If they're all real, like what is the story still got left? Right. We've got a lot of kind of uh, really stereotypical characters we have lots of you know archetypes are are good and and they can serve a purpose but um there's just like a lot of overall plot issues i i found like that one thing that was exceptionally frustrating to me is that this is supposed to be space in the future this is so future they're putting people in other bodies right why are we looking at 21st century solutions to 23rd century problems that is like so deeply frustrating like and that's one thing that um, old Star Trek gets super right is that they're thinking like how we would optimistically like to be acting in the future. And I know, you know, it's a more pessimistic view of society, like corporations own everything and the military is still like this military industrial complex, but now it's in space and, and it's like, great, but we're still, why are we not thinking of, ugh, this is kind of like getting into spoileries, but there are portions of this film and giant military action set pieces, it's like, why are we not considering drone warfare for these, like military tactics? Why are we still using ground troops? Why are we not thinking smarter about how we're doing things? And like the Colonel is such like a, a stereotype. He's like Colonel mustache twirler. He's like, he's just so evil on purpose. It's just kind of like annoying. And, and so anyway, I have like a lot of big questions about if you can like, safely analyze this movie like not safely but it, how do you legitimately analyze this movie when as soon as you say but this thing or i didn't like this part of the story and it's like well the effects that's where they spent their money like, oh no you're alex you know? let's be clear this is a safe space I know. you're allowed to say you're allowed to say this movie is a giant pile of dog shit i i, I don't think that but i'm oh, saying I, if I you mean, didn't feel that no, way you yeah. can say it you know this is yeah it's okay like it's it's just because it gets one thing really, really right doesn't yeah. mean the, the whole movie is great. And, yeah. that's, a, yeah. and that's a common uh, criticism about Avatar is like, yeah, effects are great, but the story is not not very great. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. No, and I will say that because I 100% agree like with what you're getting at. And I yeah. didn't think about it that, but I did think about when I choose to forgive that in other films like with Alien. Like it's yeah. truck driver in space, basically. And it's like, well, this seems almost... Again, same way we're we're in a similar world. We're so far in the future, but we're using we're we're it's still kind of a rudimentary, basic way of going about this, like commerce and in, in that case, yeah, and things yeah. like that. And it's like, but but I forgive it in that film because um, I get so attached to the characters, and I get so attached to the human element. Whereas right. like this, we don't have those anchor. No, points. <laughs> it yeah. feels kind of absolute. yeah, yeah and absolutely. The two more kind of points, uh, one of which, uh, so. Uh, uh, internet criticism folks online, uh, red letter media. I really like them a lot. They, in 2009, um, they did a review of avatar. Um, and one of the points that he brought up that I hadn't thought of, um, would, would our protagonist be as interested in saving this alien species if they weren't sexy? That's a really big point. I like, was like, huh, hadn't thought of that. Like if they looked like the garbage pale kids, or if they looked like little weird hobbit people, like would would they be would he be as interested in helping them out? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> is the answer to that no question. No question. No. Yeah, uh, and I was like, mm, that's a good point. And then la my last kind of point, um, I think if I had watched this in two thousand nine, I would have left the theater asking a question. 
okay, what does this mean for the future of storytelling that we're cool with like visual effects taking the lead on story uh, and preferred over story? Um, and what would that mean for where we go as a society? Now I'm asking the question in 2022 that society took the wrong message from this, that they're like, oh, it's not even that we can use special effect, like visual effects and CGI to lead the story. We're cool with making really ugly, shitty looking CGI now, like what we're seeing out of kind of like the Marvel industrial complex. That can take the lead over story because these people will watch anything. That's unfortunately kind of one of the, it's not even so, like the legacy. Wait, wait, wait. So, so I just wanted to, I, here's what I'm hearing and you tell me if, I, <laughs> if I'm hearing it right or wrong. I'm serious. No judgment. Are you implying, am I hearing that you think that Avatar ushered in a generation of us lowering our standards for story in favor of visual effects? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, Avatar and, fucking killed movies. Yeah. That's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, it did. No, I, like it's one of those big questions is like, because like Avatar could rest on the laurels of like the CGI being so great. And now it's like, now it's fine the, to have really ugly CGI and then the story is still not good and then people will still go and watch it. Well, I, I will say, again, I'll get more detailed here. There's a f I have a few rebuttals to what you're saying. Okay, um, I love to but, hear. But, but I don't think that you're wrong. I, I think a lot of it comes down to context. Mm, mm -hmm. So you have to remember Iron Man came out one year before, a year and a half before this movie. So, that okay. it, so, so this is... There's a lot of things happening within blockbusters at the same time that kind of created this shit storm that has led us to where we are now where we're only getting shit tons of very poor CG Marvel movies is like their temples. Sure. Is Avatar a part of that? I absolutely think so. And I think you're right. I think probably studios took a lot of uh, the wrong lessons as they tend to do about, you know, VFX tr trumping story. But I don't think it rests entirely on. Oh, on I, I think that would be a that would be an over over promise and oversimplification. But I do think um, it it did show it did show studios accidentally the wrong message. Absolutely. And whether it came from Avatar or they're like, okay, what if we you know try to think of other movies that came out with similar big pizzazz at the time, you know? Um, How much money did this movie make again? What three billion dollars? Uh, uh, several just, billion. Two point eight eight billion. We, we can put. Most of the Otis, I feel like, on Avatar. Like, I, come I don't know. No, no, no. Okay. I don't. I don't. So many people saw it. No, like, I just, no, like, no. Absolutely. I'm just going to say this might be better for a follow up podcast where I can actually do some proper, like, research. But here's, <laughs> okay. here's what Avatar, I will say. The aftermath. No, no, here's what Avatar I'll say. Avatar 2. There was, talk. there was an, there was, a, there was at the time we have obviously the birth of Marvel's uh, Marvel, but also superheroes run up and up at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I also recall, and I don't remember exactly when this quote came out. It was sometime in the early 2010s. So I guess it would have been after Avatar. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were on a panel and they basically said the direction we're heading in is very bad. We are, we're putting all of our stock into tentpole movies, which means there's bigger budgets Less innovation and studios will fail because there's gonna because they 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 bet big and when they fail it's a huge loss and we have seen that come I mean say yeah. what you will about George Lucas and Steven Spielberg uh, I I think they they knew what they were talking about yeah and, and we're, we're we are living in that reality right now where it's all consolidation did Avatar say pave the way for yeah we can just do more stuff on green screen in post production yeah, yeah absolutely it, I it, I don't I don't disagree with that but I also think. Previous to that, Marvel had established you don't need quality CGI to make a good movie. So it's it's a combination of the way blockbusters were shaping up at that time. 
with the release of Avatar, with the release of like what was just performing well, which I, was super. I wouldn't movies. gloss over like Transformers in 2007. Oh yeah, that's like okay. That, right. yeah, yeah, thank you. Almost, almost Good a call. I still think Avatar is the like that is the the that is the, the culmination. Big. Yes, 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 yes. That is like like. But, now, but the other big like, difference, like is the slow cooker was starting to catch on fire while nobody was watching it, and it was starting to burn and stuff. And then Avatar just exploded. The like, other thing <laughs> is, James Cameron spent like over a decade working on these visual effects. So yeah, uh, and he and he pioneered a lot of things, including 3D, which was ultimately a failure. Uh, I don't think it's because of this movie though. I think it's similar to what you said, Alex. It's studio executives being like, 3D works. Everything in 3D. What's like? No, no, no. They they actually he he built the technology because he had a love for 3D underwater photography, and he says, "I bet we can do this on the big screen." And he, they built the tech for it. And there were, in fact, a handful of directors who I really, truthfully think use the tech smartly. Martin Scorsese did it. You have Hugo in 2011. I think Life of Pi did a really great job with it. There's probably a, at least a dozen movies from like well, well-known, well-respected directors that they gave the 3D a try and I think actually made it a really immersive experience. But the overwhelming number of 3D movies was just like, eh, throw an extra five million on in post-production and throw it out there. And that's, and frankly, that is what ruined 3D as a novelty yeah. was shitty 3D, like just, uh, just slapped on there. You tell um, me Clash of the Titans did have good 3D. <laughs> Daniel, you, you just mentioned the wrong movie. So, that, that movie hurt me. Okay. <laughs> just trying to release the Kraken. Uh, oh my God. We're not even going to talk about the Don't movie. Don't put anyway, the Kraken. I get on my head horse. I just am here to say, I guess I'm going to be the avatar defender on this panel here today. Uh, but Daniel Bokemper, before I, before I become a martyr, I need you to tell me, what did you think of Avatar uh, upon this rewatch? You won't become the sole avatar defender, but I'm definitely not going to stand in front of you very long. Um, because I don't like, it, it's weird because I did, even when I saw it as a kid, that was like, when I saw Avatar 2000 in 2009, I was already like starting to, I definitely was not a film critic at any capacity. I don't, I still don't think I'm much of one now, but like, I did think I was like, I was, I was getting interested in film. And that was around the time I was like renting, uh, four movies from the library at once to just watch them simultaneously. And I was just going through like every number of whatever they had a criteria on to watch, watch that and try and think I can understand to talk about films. And so then I would like take that, what I learned about cinema and try and apply it to just whatever the hell I was watching um, on any given weekend, Avatar being one of them um, in December, 2009. And I like had reservations. I felt like it was a little stilted. I felt like some of the, the, the characters seemed really simple for what they were. And I thought maybe that was just supposed to be by design, but it never like really paid off. They always just felt really kind of flat and stilted and very, very one dimensional. And in some ways that's good because it makes whatever the story you're trying to tell maybe more accessible when you do that. But, but when you do it <laughs> in this, this fashion and don't go anywhere and don't actually say anything unique or different um, and then just fall into the same, you know, pitfalls, including, you know, the, the, the white savior complex we'll get into a little bit later, which is especially, especially difficult to stomach. Now I feel like it almost feels worse nowadays. I wasn't able to put a lot of those things into word, um, you know, words when I was younger. Um, but but like they now they're they're starting to come back to me here. And so I, I almost hold that against the film more. And then I'm forced to kind of lean on. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a it's a technical masterpiece. And it is. But that that doesn't mean much of anything. I think the last thing ultimately when we think about films, when we think about stories, the reason they stick with us is because they're good stories, not because they 
looked really cool because that quickly doesn't matter. Um, uh, you know, as new things come out and inevitably, even if avatar still holds up and it does like visually, there are ways that I think it visually still holds up. I think the vibrancy, I think the creature design, all of those things are, uh, cool, awesome and commendable. And, and, and there's not, not everything, things are starting to emulate them a lot more. And so I think it's kind of losing that luster and that ingenuity, but it still has a claim to that, but beyond it, beyond what, what the, the characters are actually doing in the story and what they're saying, what this film is truly saying, which, you know, unfortunately it becomes uh, not a lot, not a lot. Like it doesn't stick. There's a reason we don't discuss avatar alongside Lord of the Rings, a long time star Wars alongside those things because they don't, it doesn't have that permeance. And I think it's still like, yeah, there, there, it almost as if it has no staying power. Like it was throwing everything in the pot and trying to, you know, be, something very, very, very unique. And in that it just gets lost. And all we have again is the, the technical achievement and it is an achievement, but it's just not, what does it mean? Like, it, 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 are we asking any important questions of ourselves? Are we citing avatar as the quintessential example of something that matters? Or do we have another, you know, is there something else that we can um, dissect? And I think for avatar, it's just not, I feel no reason to like bring it up in conversations of the greatest movies of all time and the most impactful films of all time, because it's, it just doesn't have any of those things. It's like has every ingredient it needs to be those things. And clearly it also has the, the, the income and the revenue to say like, well, yeah, this was definitely a film that made, um, you know, a historic, a technically a historical impact, but then it's like, but, but why? And it's like, well, just because it sold a lot, because it looked really cool because of the technology. Yeah. But like, is there any, is there yeah. any narrative juice yeah. behind it? And I'm sure, you know, big, big, big film criticism nerds will come with their pitchforks from me saying something like this. But it, it kind of reminds me, it's like, I'm curious. The, the answer is likely no, but in my mental, my thought experiment, were people talking about the first, the first film that actually had synced audio, not a silent film in a similar, similar way. It's like, oh, wow. Um, you know what, what this is doing from a historical standpoint, but like, I don't know the name of that movie. And I'm not saying that you folks out there, you're like, oh, it's this. And I'm sorry for disappointing you. But the idea that it's like larger cultural conversations aren't, aren't necessarily had anymore around those those films, you know, we're talking about the films that actually had, yeah, they did some innovative technical things, but then they also told a story that was coupled with it that had the the staying power. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to come in here with my, my rebuttals. All uh, right, let's go. I, let's uh, go. Okay. So, so, so I just need to start by acknowledging that I, yeah, the, the story in the script is definitely the weakest part. I, I honestly think the thing that's aged the poorest about this movie is Sam Worthington in the lead role. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like I, it's so crazy that that guy was at the time, the it guy, I mean, clash of the Titans you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. He was like, Every I feel like I haven't seen this recently, but especially like in the early aughts to the 2010s, they would just pick a guy for like about three years who just was like leads in everything. Jai Courtney was another one of those guys they tried mm -hmm. to put out really hard for a while. Generic white dude, machismo white dude, but he's like kind of bland, but that's why he's relatable. They did that a lot. Like the Chris Pratt of the, the 2020s. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, at least 
And I'm not a, I actually. I, I know, a Chris I'm Pratt's very, complicated. I, I'm very over, well, I'm generally over Chris Pat, Pratt generally, but at least he has a shtick, unlike Sam Worthington, who literally is just, I'm here, man. His shtick is a voice. Okay, I'm here. real he talk. A voice. He was in Terminator, he was in a Terminator movie, he was in Clash of the Titans. Oh, Terminator Salvation, He was yeah. in this movie, like, it was a bunch, and it wasn't just, like, small little indie films, it was, like, big studio temples like in succession for about three years it's wild because i had to literally look on my phone to confirm that you were talking about the lead actor that is how much cultural impact he has had in my mind he voiced call of duty black ops great uh, main character in that first black ops game also i guess he can only be filmed in 3d and since we're Ah! (laughs) not caring about that anymore it's just like we don't got nothing for you sam and sam worthington out there man i i'm rooting for you i hope you do great work and i don't think you did bad here i just think you're you know, you're, you're playing a Luke Skywalker, except for with less charisma. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Now, so all that to be said, uh, yes, the script is the, the weakest part. I, I want to put a little bit of context on the story because I do think the story is about a lot of things. Um, I mean, this movie really was James Cameron's like, think about when he was writing this movie. I think that, I'm pretty sure this is the first movie he made following Titanic in the late 90s as a director. So the thing that was top of mind for him was the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. There is a lot of, I mean, very blunt George W. Bush era rebuttals in this. I mean, the, the, the portrait uh, that Stephen Lang's character is clearly supposed to represent like the American like cowboy, do what it takes to get the job done, fight terror with terrorists. I mean, literally says those exact words. The movie is definitely trying to engage with that that story, that sort of. Um, by drawing parallels to imperialism that I don't know had been done in a sci-fi in that way at that, at that point in time, which is, Hey, what we're doing in Iraq is pretty much what we did to the natives like a long time ago, except we're putting it in this very like, you know, sci-fi reality. And I'm not saying that's a super unique thing, but it is a thing I think he was doing that I think, especially looking back that we're, we're far enough away from the George W. Bush era politics. You can sort of see that stamp on it. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Kind of tells you what's in the zeitgeist. Even if it is very blunt and on the nose. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate how much we, we get to live in the world. And I know that it goes back to the technological achievement part. But it's just the, the amount of detail. It's not just that he did cool VFX. It's that he... Spared no expense on the details. Like when they're walking around, you see the light, like their the footprints light up, you know, it in just everything from the visuals and the audio, really so much care was put into it that I do think it it, it sets it apart from stuff today. Cause I I think I think very few films get that into the weeds. Cause the thing is that the audience, we probably wouldn't have noticed if they didn't do that. But then the fact that they do it, you're like, holy cow, it just adds that like that, that layer of immersion. Yeah. And I think the ability to immerse us in that world and that story is really the, the best thing about seeing it in the theater. Because to your point, Daniel, I have only watched the movie. This is the first time I've watched this movie in over a decade since I watched the director's cut at home, as far as I can recall. But I will say when I'm in the theater, it's magical. Yeah. I am immersed. I am there. I think the sto- I still think the pacing is a little wonky. And I actually wonder if that's a part of why it hasn't had quite the, um, 
cultural, quote unquote, cultural relevance. I think about movies like Star Wars, because I remember when this came out, we were saying, oh, this is the closest our generation is going to get to Star Wars in terms of like technological breakthroughs. Star Wars is a really brisk movie. It moves really fast. The pacings, it's simple, simplified. It doesn't really get too, it, it is political, but it doesn't get too into the political underpinnings of anything. This movie, especially act number two, it even in the, this time watching it, I was like, all right, I'm just ready to get to the big fight at the end. We know where, where this is going. So so the pacing is still a problem for me. Honestly, I feel basically the same way I, about it today as I did like in 2009, which is weird because normally I either like or hate something. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. like the experience was just how I remembered it. Like I, I felt like I was there. It was a blast. I felt like the act two dragged. And once it was done, I, ha I, I sat and said, man, that was a great ride. I do think there's enough here to talk about, though. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's just a ride. Um, and I, I also, the last thing I'm going to point out, again, this is still on the technological audiovisual side. Alex, you talk about where we're at with superhero films and the state of VFX. I would say state of action movies. Thank God for John Wick. Thank God oh, yeah, for John Wick. You know how few tentpole blockbusters can effectively create an action set piece that where, where you know where everyone's at, what's going on, where you feel like you're there you're not lost. It's not a bunch of people fighting in some CGI cloud thing, weightless and every, you know, you feel like everything has a weight, a physics to it. Like it, James Cameron knows how to do that in a way that I think very, very few other directors do. I certainly don't think the Marvel movies, I think the Marvel movies have been detrimental to both CGI and action and, and yeah. blockbuster films. Editing especially. Oh, let's let's cut away any time somebody touches another person in any way and, if, and it just uh it's yeah. disorienting it, it's, it's bad and i and i think james cameron does that crazy effectively in this like that mm -hmm. the lot well, specifically the last set pieces i'm like that this is i feel like i'm just seeing a master work you know and the guy's put, like paying the mona lisa but for action set pieces on pandora you know uh just because and maybe it's and maybe that part feels a little fresher to me because i'm just so tired of like CG garbledy goo getting thrown at us all the That's time. That's true. I, I mean, actually, I don't think I conceded enough to that because I think of the entire film, I was most frustrated by the action set piece, but I looked at it more through the story lens. Whereas you, like comparing it to how garbled and incomprehensible most modern action set pieces are. That's such a great point. I hadn't thought of it that way because you're right. Like I was able to critique how lackluster kind of some of the story beats in that moment were because I knew where everyone is and I wasn't confused, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and you can't really say that about whatever Marvel schlock is getting birthed out this week, you know? So yeah, good point. Well, and, it, and it's like, yeah, it's the big third, third act set piece, but unlike a lot of things where, like it feels like it means something, and yeah. I know. I, and what I mean is, all the characters arrive at this is the thing that we've got to do right now. And yeah, you know, obviously it's sort of like the rallying cry, and it's a little arch yeah, it's it's not original, but I feel like the movie earns the moment. Versus again, most I wouldn't even largely superhero movies, but not just superhero movies, like just tentpole movies is like, all right, guys, third act, we got to have a big set piece. Um, who cares if it doesn't really make sense? Yeah, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is a great example of this. I mean, how many movies have blue beams firing into the sky as their set piece <laughs> where the blue beam could literally be anything? And it just the people just do it because uh, we're at third act. we got to wrap this thing up somehow. Whereas this again, I'm not going to sit here and said, oh, this script was a masterwork and it was meticulously plotted. Again, I have tons of pacing issues with it like yeah. on that side. Yeah. But 
when we get here, I'm like, okay, this is Jake. This is how Jake Sully arrived at the conclusion that this is his role he's going to play. Here's how he recruited all the different nations, and yeah, it happens in a montage very fast. It's not. It's not the best, like the, the most seamless. But uh, and also we have Natiri who is there. Um, really invested in in him, like like the, the chemistry between the main players. It was uh, Natiri, her brother, and Jake Sully. I buy all of it. Even um, uh, Michelle Rodriguez's pilot character, who who turned heel, I was like, yeah, like I buy all this. Like it, yeah. for me, it works, and it works. The set piece feels like these characters arrived where they needed to, even if the ride there was a little clunky. Versus, yeah. all right, guys, arbitrary. They're here. Let's just have a big fight because because. Absolutely. Long way of saying. I dig it. I'll I'll go to bat for the third, the, the the final set piece for sure. Okay. Okay. So obviously I like the movie. We've talked about the technological achievement to a certain degree. Um, I, I just want to go around. I mean, like, is there anything else you, you guys want to add when we compare this to the, the, the VFX of Avatar? How would you compare it to what we typically see today? Uh, Daniel? So I would just say the, the one thing I want to laud for a moment is it it's, like visual vibrancy. I know we kind of get that in some things, even like uh, the most recent thing I can think of is like Thor love and thunder has sequences that do interesting things with color, but this one, it just feels appropriately a lot more natural. And I think it helped it age better a little bit. I tend to think the really colorful, um, impactful things tend to, 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 to age a little bit better than the more muted and the more, you know, trying to incorporate the CGI into, um, you know, into the the world itself or an otherwise like actual real setting you're filming with a few exceptions. Um, there's one film that was made on a pretty low budget, like Troll Hunter. It would, and uh, I'm in the, the Halloween mood. So it's like uh, Troll Hunter. And then uh, another film called Grabbers, I think, is a way there they, where they incorporate CG that isn't all that great. But they use darkness to integrate in a way that makes sense. And I think that does really well. Whereas like Avatar, it's visual. You can see everything. I also just think the the amount of detail. Uh, this is something I would normally like and, and it, appropriately, I think it's influenced video games, but like the, the just biodiversity and every like creature is just very unique. You don't really see, I mean, you see the same thing a couple times, but like, I'm never like, Oh, well that just looks like it was derived from this, which was derived from this only in the way that it makes sense because this is like a living, breathing, um, environment but it, it just it was just so nice to look at and i think we lose um you know do you we, remember when they actually made creatures and cgi creations that felt like a, a craft mm-hmm. um, yeah it, it's kind of what i get i mean that's what, what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. because no, you believe you believe that the creatures all here belong in the ecosystem where they fit into the ecosystem i noticed that like a little detail about like where their lungs are placed typically tells you a yes. little bit about where mm. they live in pandora right exactly yeah and very 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 close attention again they all have things that they share um, so do the Navi, but it's like, it, it, it still feels like they're all stand on their own. It doesn't just like, let's insert this. And like, you know, it, it doesn't feel very hasty. It feels like that was where a lot of the time went into was like, let's build this environment. Let's, you know, make it very realistic. And I think in that way, it does exceed a lot of what we're seeing now in terms of that, that, that creativity and that imagination in that world building. Again, I wish certain things it was it was used better because when you have a beautiful world you still have to have something kind of animate it but as far as just on a technical level i i think the visual effects um you know they 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 don't just hold up but i think in a lot of ways they still kind of exceed 
what we're seeing now. And if anything, just that attention to detail um, is there. Well, it seems like they actually have put like real thought into like how a creature would function exactly. in this world versus like, all right, we need generic CGI creature number 23 over right. here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, I mean, like anything else you want to add about sort of the, you know, how the technology and avatar compares to what we've seen today? No, I mean, honestly, like I, that is that is the best part of the film, like 110 percent. Like it. Yeah, it feels done with care, the amount of detail, like I, that was my worst fear going in was being distracted with feeling like some of the characters would be out of place. Um, I did find of all of the avatar bodies, Sigourney Weaver's is the strangest looking. I don't know why her face, it looks very like her. And maybe that was like the point in the, and and also the problem like that her features don't translate to that body very well. I thought it was odd, but that, but that's like the nitpickiest of nitpicks because it looks like her. I mean, like that's, and maybe she just doesn't have avatar features, who you know, the Navi features that need to, you know, translate to those bodies uh, or models. But um, yeah, I, like everyone, I also appreciated that all the mocapped people like you could tell differences. I mean, not so much maybe in the giant crowd sequences, but whenever, for instance, uh, Nettery's dad, uh, who's played by Wes Studi, who's a native actor, um, like you just recently th- appeared in the second season of Reservation Dogs. Yeah, yeah that, that tracks. Yeah, yeah. He's he's one of our favorite OGs in Oklahoma, and so he. I mean, you can tell like that his face was perfectly captured and and like his his performance and everything like it, it it all feels very grounded even though he's this he's a cgi puppet basically in these uh in the film so um yeah that honestly like everything even like the stuff that i normally really dislike in science fiction like looking forward like the screen stuff normally that really bugs me when cgi look uh like modern science fiction is like, oh, everything's going to be an Apple store. You know, everything's yeah, going to be like yeah. polished and shiny. And I, and I do like that. It had a little bit more of a grounded, a feel to it. The, the, um, this isn't even CGI. This is more of the practical side of stuff, but the, the coffins where they transform into the avatars. I thought that was really cool with the gel packs surrounding mm-hmm. them. There's like lots of uh, the care and attention to detail, like to Daniel's point, definitely all of it's there. Um, no complaints on any of the VFX really at all. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk really quickly because I, I want to make sure we save plenty of time for spoilers. But I, I did just want to talk really quickly about James Cameron and how we compare it to his other movies. And, and we can probably save a lot of this for the spoiler section. But I did just want to quickly think, I mean, if you're comparing this to James Cameron's other movies, attention to detail is one thing that is very consistent among, amongst his films. I actually would argue the archetypes is another thing that is very consistent in all of his films. And I think that is both his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. It works on one hand because it makes these characters very relatable. You feel like you know them immediately. You know, when we, when you think about Titanic, uh, you have Jack and Rose, you have Rose. Oh, she's the rich kid. Who's not ha- she, She's not content with, with the life set given to her. And you have Jack who's the young scrappy romantic type, uh, you know, every man, that he's just trying to make find his way in the world sort of thing, right? Uh, or you think about, I don't know, the cast, uh, like Terminator 2, right? Uh, Sarah Connor. Well, it is a sequel. Uh, I guess Terminator 1 and 2. Uh, Sarah Connor is just an average Joe waitress who just happens to get selected to be attacked by the Terminator, right? Like he just, he, it's it's often very 
in my mind, very relatable. And it's by design to, to really pull us into whatever story he's trying to tell as quickly as possible. And I think that works really well with Terminator 2, especially because the emphasis is you, you have really Sarah Connor and young John Connor. But the, the whole point of the story is to, to learn about how humans and machines can learn to work and live together. Right. But if you spend too much time developing the characters like too much, it's, it takes away from kind of the larger idea he's trying to explore. I think that's consistent throughout his filmography, by the way. Avatar, I think, is the same. I, I think it just comes across a little clunkier. I do think it's because he's trying to be more pointed with his politics. I think that's definitely part of why it might play a little more tone deaf uh, to others. I personally find Stephen Lang's bad guy to be awesome. I don't need him to be in depth, but I can totally understand how it might drive certain people insane. Because he's basically <laughs> he basically is twirling his mustache. Yeah, the entire I, time. <laughs> but I'm cool with that. I don't need a complicated bad guy. Capitalism and military complex, bad guys, done. I, all right. Yeah. That's all I need. Yeah. Uh, and we get both of them because you also get uh, uh, Giov uh, Giovanni Rabisi, right? He's the one that's slightly more complicated because he's like, well, I don't want our hands to get dirty, but we'll do it if it if it helps us meet our quarterly. Uh, Still a corporate stooge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he's also a bad guy. And I, I guess that they are hyper simplified, but they're they're done that way. So you can really focus more on the relationship between Jake Sully uh, and the Navi people, uh, as well as sort of his mission. It works for me. That is the James Cameron parts that work for me outside of all the action stuff I've already talked about. What about this movie from James Cameron worked for or against this movie? Alex, I'll start with you. I think where Titanic and T2 uh, succeed, where this movie fails, is scope. I think those stories were better able to, even if the characters are archetypes, who gives a crap? But it's like the fact that we're not so like divided out and both of those films had like groundbreaking special effects and VFX and all this stuff. Um, but basically like for Titanic, the fact that you get to know the characters, it feels more personal and then, Oh yeah, this huge tragedy happens. And then, yeah, the entire second VHS or whatever is the boat. Right. And it's all that impressive action. And so I, uh, I just wish that we had some just a tiny tablespoon more care and attention like we see in his past films paid to some of the characters. I don't need the villain to be exceptionally complex, but just just a little bit more time spent. But then it's like, OK, well, if you want more time spent, where are you going to take it from with the fact that he has to, like, learn how to be part of this tribe? And, and like, it's like, where do you start flexing whenever the core it's not necessarily the core part like point of the story and so it's just like that's just my big bummer i guess is like i want i just needed a little more nuance from everybody yeah on the characters well, and you're saying uh be, be like with titanic we we have the time to, to, to yeah and everyone part of that, breathes and 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 i think we're able to do that because people know the titanic right yeah right. there is this you don't, rounding. To, you don't have to design all right guys here's the world in which titanic was built and here's yeah the, you already know that from the get-go exactly. we, we all know that titanic's going to sink yeah um and aliens there has already been an established the world while well, he grows it tremendously in that film. Yeah, there has already Ridley Scott has already established the world of Alien yeah. and Aliens, so he doesn't have to spend as much time focusing on that. He can focus more on the character dynamics. Whereas this, 
uh, he really is focused on the world and the characters more secondary. Yeah. And maybe that'll be like, to your point, Caleb, like the fact that he's growing in these like second entry films, maybe in way of water, shape of water, whatever it's called. Like it's, it's, that's where we get to like sink into the characters. We'll learn more about Nittery. Well, Sully will be more of a human being. Maybe we'll even get a nuanced villain. That's like my big standout is that, we get a nuanced villain, like just an opportunity since we don't have to ground. Oh no. Are you going to tell me something that I'm not going to like? An ancient evil um, returns. Is that well, what the, I'm just going to say both Giovanni Rabisi and Stephen Lang are going to be at least in the second one. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just flashbacks. Uh, I doubt it, but maybe but they're going to be there somehow. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm okay. I do, I do hear you out, and I definitely want to talk more about that in spoilers because sure. because I think that the thing is all of my biggest problems with this movie leaning on very familiar tropes and flat archetypes theoretically was to get us in. Yeah, that's so, like my hope. So now that we're in, he should really be able to flex the muscles a lot Just more. Just like, yeah. hey, we can we, since we don't have to build up the world, you guys get the world. Cool. All right, there here are the people, and they're real feeling <laughs> yeah and that that my favorite james cameron films are i i see him as kind of a sequel king and it's because mm. and, and especially my two favorite of his terminator 2 and aliens you have very strong established characters right, right out the gate in sarah connor and uh and ellen ripley and i think it's it's very easy yeah to, to attach to those films get behind them as of right now he does pretty good with sequels um so we'll we'll see if wave of water you know if he if that holds true for James Cameron, I don't know if we have enough because that's the thing is the other thing in that, like when I looked at it and think of like, what are my favorite James, Cam- James Cameron movies? And then it's like you can count them like on your on one hand. There's not yeah. many to like have to 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 choose between. And I don't like, think he's made we can removing Avatar. I don't think he's made a bad movie. No, directed. A bad none movie. of them are like bad. No, yeah, no, no, absolutely no. not. Um, there are some I definitely attach to. Yeah, um, a lot more. Um, and I mean, it's, it's hard to like, you know, I always want to say like, oh, the abyss is like the weird, like dark horse entry as, as far as like good James Cameron. But then I'm like, I can't, I've seen it multiple times and it's hard to like talk about it without seeing it like immediately. Like I, I don't remember it. Whereas like T2 and, and it's probably for the reasons you talked about earlier is that he, he, he knows what crafts at least a serviceable blockbuster and he knows what allows us to attach to these characters be it an an archetype or just having already in a pre-established interesting character and that makes the by extension the story um easier to immerse yourself in uh, whereas avatar doesn't really have that and so then i guess in the absence of that he's like well i better create a really 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 fucking cool world um for you to get lost in and he kind of does but you still need that other piece you still need the character. You know, this is the first time that just kind of rung a bell, like, you know, you calling him sequel king king. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, Titanic was a sequel, but it's like in it's in a way it is because it's a it sequel is, to yeah, the no. actual boat sinking. Like it's, so it's all like, secret <laughs> histories are, yeah, like kind of a sequel in a way. Yeah. So I was just like, oh yeah. So it, you're right. He really does great with like all the pieces set out, set up. And, and then he's like, okay, I'm now I'm gonna play in my dollhouse with all of the stuff that's already good you know and so well, and i think you know I terminator one's a great movie but t and he did because he did direct t1 and t1 he did, yeah. yeah but t2 is there's a reason t2, t2 is, is clearly the the, the, the mm. best one yeah right and i'm hoping that like this is actually this conversation is making me much more optimistic than for avatar 2 i'm not gonna lie because like it you're he has a great record record with number two entries so 
according to him, number four, that's where it's going to get that's ready. Oh, Zelda. my God. What else could they be Please doing? Please don't say that, James. God, why would he say that? Oh, before it came out, like no, 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 no. Off. The reason he said it, the reason he said it, is because uh, number two and number three are already in the can, and he and they hadn't oh. they hadn't started production on number four, and he's like number, and this was like a couple months ago before they'd started production four, but he's like, yeah, I really hope I get to make number four. It's I can't remember what he said. He's like, it's gonna be crazy. People aren't gonna believe. Yeah, it was really uh, funny. He's like, but I hope I get to make that one though. Yeah, yeah. in like another twenty more years. Well, and then, and then of course. Uh, by the time D23 had started a couple weeks, a few weeks ago, he's like, all right, I'm on the set of Avatar 4 filming the movie. So. Aren't they on like a sketch? Like right now it is like every, from this point, from this December moving forward, it's supposed to be like every two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. that's if nice. All. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's, the, the thing is he, he did them all kind of back to back so they can crank them out faster. Okay. Because the other thing is you got to think uh, these actors aren't getting any younger. So right. I mean, you know. Yeah. And he's going to have to like, I, I mean, I don't know how much like physical like obviously their planet's not exceptionally physical stuff but like all the sets and gonna store the props somewhere and yeah oh man well um i think guys we are running out of time so i just want to quickly get to our letter grades and then i do have a few things we want to hit on in spoilers for sure uh so letter grade alexandra bohannon first time viewing experience of avatar what letter grade would you give james cameron's avatar I, uh, with a caveat of listen to my tone of voice whenever I I say this B question mark yes yeah because it's because that the if the VFX the B, VFX bump at a whole letter grade like that's the thing is because if you subtract if they had run of the mill Marvel even like the best of Marvel vibe to it you know it it would put it in C for sure because the story is just so like yeah I think that's fair B with a question mark, Daniel Bokemper. It's weird that I'm lower than you. B minus okay, for for solid, corporate yeah. butt. Corporate yeah. Butt. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is. It, it that's the thing is like when you're there. Caleb was speaking to it earlier. Like when you're watching, even when I was watching it at home, when you're there, like I'm in it, swept away. Like it, yes. it is hard not to look at Avatar. Um, maybe because I like shiny things. Um, it's really we all like shiny things. Distracted. Yeah, no, no, no. It's hard to not look at Avatar. I definitely wasn't yawning. I definitely wasn't. Um, even if parts of it dragged, like I wasn't, it was still like engaging when I was watching it. But again, I'm not, I want to be able to have a conversation about the film after I've watched it. I want to have like bigger questions and it's like, and, and, and it, that effect in of itself allows us to have a conversation. I should say like, the, like, yeah, we've been talking about this movie for an no, hour. Know, and <laughs> <minutes>. <laughs> we've, we've derailed Caleb's outline. Uh, he worked so hard on that's the thing is I want I need like for me to give a really higher grade to a film I need to be thinking about it a lot and it needs to be like recall like I just go throughout life and encounter other pieces of art and I'm thinking about that and I cannot think of a single time except as a <laughs> as like a joke I was, yeah that I was like oh Avatar I mean I guess every time I see Caleb's wall right here I do think of the it's like the exact shade of the Navi people. <laughs> yeah, I'm a so Navi fan. Always on my own. So Daniel's going B minus. I'm going to go. Yeah. Uh, Alex goes down the middle. Daniel's going low. I'm going high. I'm going to say B plus. Okay. A plus plus for visual effects, set pieces, all the James Cameron things, uh, like D for writing and story. Yeah. The, the story really is the vehicle to get you to the world. And I accepted that a long time ago and I'm okay with that. It could have been better. I really am, Alex, to your point, I am very optimistic that we have room to do that in the next movie. 
or next four movies, I should say. So, and honestly, the sequels in my mind, and this is for me personally, are going to make or break how good Avatar as an experiment is because if the sequels suck, then everyone was, in my mind, I'm like, everyone was right. It was just all CG. If the sequels are great, I'm like, see, it was all like part of like the, the journey we had to go on that took 20 years to finish. But because we're running on time, we're just going to move right into the spoiler discussion. So if for some reason you haven't seen Avatar or you've completely forgotten about it and want to experience it like you did the, for the first time, go ahead and tune out now. I'll be back. Okay, so I have a few different topics we're going to hit on as many as possible. Uh, definitely have way more questions than we have time for. So I'm going to keep it light on each topic. So the first thing I want to hit on here, and we've already alluded to it a little bit in our discussion, Daniel says there's nothing to talk about here. I vehemently disagree. Now, whether you think there's interesting things to talk about is a different story. Uh, number one, is, is this movie a subversive critique of Western imperialism, or is it a derivative white savior narrative, or possibly is it both? And I just want to dive into this question here for a moment, because over the last decade, what has probably been the number one most common criticism I've heard from everyone, like even average Joes who aren't like cinephiles who watch all the movies, is that this movie is very derivative of stories such as Ferngoy, The Last Rainforest, or the one that I think it's actually really riffing on, which is Dances with Wolves. So I'm going to start uh, with you, Alex, because this is your first time viewing. Do you yes. think this is a fair criticism? Why or why not? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, you can't. You cannot. No, the, the lob all of the white savior complex criticisms at this film. It is. Oh, God. It, the, it's like at points it makes me feel actively uncomfortable watching the film. Like it, it's like I the, that's like I think of everything. That is the thing that has aged the poorest. Um, and especially because, so obviously you have this stuff that's way more over the top and over with Sully. And now he's like, he's like, I'm the only guy that's ever thought of jumping on the back of the big bird. And it's like, people did that for like, no one thought of doing that. Jumping from a higher point. <laughs> To jump on the big it's dinosaur funny bird. I, as far as I, I, as far as I understood, white men can't jump. So it was uh, very, very funny that the, 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 was the white dude. Yeah, who did it. Um, I I found it very frustrating that Nichiri had so like she's like showing him how to do all these things, but she somehow still had so little to do in terms of her as a person. I found, and this is. I grew up watching Disney's Pocahontas. I have not watched it in maybe 15 years. So I know that that movie has lots of big problems in the same vein that this does. But I find that Pocahontas as a character is much, much more fleshed out and feels like a human being more so than Neturi does. And I know it's Jake Sully's story, but come on. She's like the, the I, entry well, point into the I, world. I, like, I, okay, I would actually argue, I actually think Zoe Saldana is is really, really good. She's oh, probably, she, as an she's actress, probably she's the, fantastic. She's probably the strongest performer in the whole movie. Right, but she, as a, like, it's not her performance. She's doing a great job with what she's given, but just like in terms of like, her her wants and needs and I, I thought there was gonna be it's literally like the Pocahontas thing of John Smith versus Cocoum like the idea that like Neturi has this betrothal because they're the king the next tribal leaders and all this stuff and I thought there was gonna be a, a, like a much more overt love triangle and more like nuance with all of that and it just missed it like it just it happened yeah. kind of but it was like at the end they're all like palling around and then what's his bucket like kamikazes and like you know I think 
perhaps James Cameron was the only person who was like, you know, Pocahontas would have been great if it was just told from John the Smith's Smith point perspective. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one else wanted to see that. Yeah, and it's yeah. what we get. The, another thing that I don't think it necessarily engages enough with is Sigourney Weaver's place in the um, kind of like white savior industrial complex because like her character art kind of reminds me of of like missionaries going to Africa to build schools and it's like, oh, these these people, they don't know anything. I'm going to learn them in the ways of Western culture, you know, and that kind of energy, but we don't, so we get that thrown out there, but then nothing happens with it. Like we don't like necessarily, it, it, it's not framed that she's doing like a great positive service to them, but then it's not, but it's not said, hey, maybe we should rethink that. Do they really need to know about white Western English culture? So I, you know, Daniel, Daniel might be able to speak to this again. Remembering it's been over a decade since yeah. I watched the director's cut. I want to say they added a little more around the, the school storyline in the director's cut. Daniel, I'm misremembering that. I feel like there was I more think to so, it. So because that you do, you get the sequence where they're like going inside the school and there's uh no. bullet holes throughout the chalkboard. Oh no, not like at all. That. Not and then at they're all. like the dang that's not in there? No. Nope. Uh, weird. You, yeah, you basically so you just, get a little bit. You get that she is like pissed off like and I love <laughs> the way I describe uh Grace and uh Sigourney Weaver's character is that she's a hard ass Miss Frizzle. Um, <laughs> taking them all on the magic school, but like that's no how I—that's oh. how I think of her. That's how, and it makes the character fit a little bit better because otherwise. But like, yeah, there, there's a little bit of context, but it also makes it kind of more baffling as to why the Davi would trust her. Like, yep, and we brought all their children, and then uh, our uh, our uh, benefactors came in and shot them all inside the school. But and it's like so it makes it like even harder to get like why they would ever trust gray and it's because well she didn't like hold the gun or anything but she did like like they 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 allude to a, a massacre that i guess happened in the in the school oh my it? god that would have been even harder for me to swallow her character if like yeah. right yeah and then like the you get that secret because you definitely in the original version well, get her where she's like kids it's me again and they're all like whoa yeah we totally didn't almost die <laughs> in your classroom um, like so i just i, I want to point out i do think and this doesn't obviously change the theatrical cut because you're right. The theatrical cut yeah. absolutely glosses over that. I do think that there's in the director's cut, there's a little more complexity about her role and the relationship she has with with the Navi. Uh, I have a question. OK, because this kind of sums up a little bit what we're talking about. There was one scene and I wonder if this is in the the original because now I don't know. Now I wonder if it's just um, whether it's, it's Grace Norm, who is not portrayed by Adam Driver. As I learned, uh, and It'd be amazing uh, if he was recast though. Is Adam? Yeah, yeah, it felt like it. And and uh, Jake, uh, they're all sitting after Jake assaulted the 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 transport or the harvester or whatever, and they pull him in, and they haven't like, um, you know, and and the colonel's like, you been a bad bad boy, and uh, they're all sitting around, and he's like, and Jake is like, this is bad. Colonization is so fucked up. And he's like, it's just they just come in and they take what they want. This is unbelievable. Yeah, he said that's, that, that's in the theater. Yeah, right? and it's like, wow, thanks, dude. Like, you know, like how the, like the human race kind of got to the position. What Alex is speaking to earlier about the like 21st century solutions to like 23rd century problems a little bit is like 
Jake, this is this is just what people have done the entire time. And it like it felt like almost like an ironic, like satir like in any other movie, this would look like a very like self-actual, like satirical moment of the person like, Wow, I never well, knew humans he, were capable of this. And to like, keep in keep in mind, he is a Marine who's not exactly known for his brains or his So why wasn't Grace like I we've this we could have saw this coming like, from like she pulls out a like a little yeah. flip chart and it's like thousands <laughs> of years. We yeah, done every this. moment in human history where uh, colonization was not cool. Oh, all of them. <laughs> I'm not going to rebut any of this. Um, I because I think it is a uh, it is probably the thing with the movie I've struggled with the, the most. Uh, not that it's riffing, not even that it's people are like, oh, it's not original because it rips up. I don't no, give a shit. It, it's no, that's actually not the part that bothers me. Yeah. It, the part that the, the entire trope bothers me yeah. it's tired it's not held up it's 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 aged even it wasn't honestly it, it really wasn't great at the time it is aged even more poorly um by today's standards yeah pocahontas but, came out in what 94 95 like we're still we're like how is how is the native characters in pocahontas more nuanced than a film that came out in 2009 right. <laughs> well and it was it, disney and still hella whitewash like holy well fuck. and it's weird too because they had I just am really curious. Again, we need to move on, but I am just really curious about what the consulting relationship with the consultants were like with this movie, because there are several consultants listed working on this movie. So I'm like, were they just like, yeah, man, whatever. Give us a paycheck. Was James Cameron like, I hear you, but screw you. That, uh, I, I, oh, I, uh, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, I feel I, like I, there might be a little bit of like, cause it just happens so repeatedly and he is the, Right, he's the only credited writer, right? right? James Cameron. Yeah, so I'm gonna guess he probably maybe heard some things it's and like was just like noted, <laughs> and it's just like here's my. What script. if I make them blue, <laughs> and they kind of don't look like people, but do look like people, and uh, is that enough to yeah. just distance them, and then yeah. I can just avoid all of these things that you're telling me to avoid? Yeah, okay. that's that's one thing is um, definitely a big encouragement, especially as, as I'm a. I'm a white lady, like, please go read indigenous scholars, their ideas about Avatar, because I I think it's really valuable to know um, those perspectives and how they feel like this lens, you know, treated subjects surrounding their culture and their, you know, the fact that they were likely colonized, you know, if we're looking at tribes in the United States. And yeah, because in a roundabout way, it still comes back to the idea that like, oh, they, they still need the colonizers to like, uh, yeah. exi- that's what like it's, it yeah. feel, I feel like it's kind of saying when they throw in that was because not enough for Jake to like, you just said this, I'm just kind of reiterating. It's not enough for him to just gain a little bit of perspective and it, I, I guess be a better, a better human being. Be a better being as a result. No, I have to be the absolute yeah. best version of what all of these people are because I know and I was chosen and I was like, it still speaks to that manifestation. Yeah. It still speaks to all of and, those and things. And I think the sequence that was the most egregiously yuck for me was after, um, so after the great tree um, has been firebombed, um, we are, they relocate to the big space the soul tree is it the soul tree? I think it's the soul tree um, where, you know, they're being in tune with their culture, trying to figure out next steps. And then Jake, like, I understand that uh, I called her Ripley in my head. I don't know. Ellen, Grace, Grace Hope, Grace, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, so whenever they, he's bringing Grace to them, he's not, it feels so 
bad. He's like, it's like your whole cultural homeland was just destroyed. Now heal my friend. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just feels so like, it, it just feels so uh, self-centered and entitled. Uh, it just like was really, and then they did it. There was no engagement of like, yeah, so our spiritual homeland's dead and now you want me us to do you a favor? Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah. A lot of shorthand there. It doesn't really work uh, super well. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I th- okay. I, I just want to hit on a couple things here. We're, we're, we're about out of time, but I, I do want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, why maybe this film hasn't resonated in the same way as a Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or Harry Potter. People have argued this film lacks the same cultural impact as those franchises. Do you agree? Why or why not? Uh, Daniel, I'll start with you on this. And we'll try to keep try to keep it short because we're about out of time. But um, no, I, I I don't think it does because it, it wades into that like palp what's the word palimpsest territory where it like kind of takes all of these things from a bunch of different stories, but and consolidates a lot of different ideas. And it's like definitely is trying so very hard to be that like from the onset. And in a lot of ways that works. I don't think like, you know, not to get all like Campbellian with it all, but like, you know, Joseph Campbell does have kind of a point that we do have certain stories that we come back to. We do have myths that we lean on and that's okay. It's okay that we get this story again, the the the, the Pocahontas dances with Wolf story told again, as long as it's doing it in a way that's both different and, and, and re- <laughs> helps us remember the important parts of those while also hopefully revi- in ways fixing the, the problematic parts. Or if we are going to have those problematic things, at least identifying why they are problematic, like why the 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 white savior is problematic, things like that. Like like it, it, as long as it's addressing those, but like on this the narrative level, it 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 seems to adopt so many of those tropes. It seems to adopt so many of those archetypes. It tries to to set itself up um, as its own thing while leaning on so much else that it does it. It almost becomes nothing in a way at the same time like that's like it removes that impact because we have like a perfectly better example of what we want to talk about with um avatar so if we want to talk about the 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 hero's journey i think we probably would lean more on lord of the rings we probably would lean more on star wars if we wanted to talk about um any number of things even colonization of itself it's not even the good example of 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 a post-colonialist critique and so there's other films that we can lean on to to discuss that and that's I think what what hurts it the most is it's trying to be it's trying to emulate in a lot of ways some of these other great franchises or at least these things that stick in our minds and tend to tend to to resonate with us on a deeper level that it just it just can't it can't burst through that layer it only has it doesn't only have the technical achievement going for it but that seems to be like the the most overwhelmingly what what gives it any form of permeance and i'm learning at least for myself that isn't permeance that's just fun it's still i'll still go see those movies in the theaters i'm still going to go see way of um you know way of the water when it comes out and and like i'll still go see that and it'll probably it'll probably be a pretty good time and it'll be pretty to look at i don't think it's going to lose any of the things that makes this film good um but i also don't trust it to be that much like add anything new and i hope i'm wrong but like it it just doesn't seem like this is really going to be a franchise we're going to talk about for for long after. I just don't think it has those things. Because even, even like the first entries of all these other franchises, they were still important. Even if they got better, even if they enhanced. Like, you know, like Lord of the Rings is a good example. The Fellowship of the Ring. It was really – I think it was really good. Uh, but it is not my favorite in that trilogy. Um, 
but it was enough to get us hooked and get us very excited. I think Avatar probably captured some excitement. I'm not going to say it didn't or it didn't get people excited of where it could have gone at first, but as more time goes by, it's like I it's not you know, mm-hmm. it's not among those films. It's not in that that class. But maybe I could be wrong. I yeah. I kind of hope I am, but it's hard to Okay. You know. All right. Alex, what do you think? So <clears throat> One thing that I, I like that all the selects you had here, the popular franchises, because with the um, big ab, uh, with the omission of Star Wars, they're all based on these grounded tech. Yeah, these are based on texts that have like this giant like world built around them. And then, oh, yeah, they were made into into a film. And then you can also make that argument for Star Wars being so closely tied to Kimbellian, um, you know, writing process and myth- mythical ar- archetypes. Um, so they're all based on other texts, whereas this film as a text is like it's only insular based on itself. And I think to me, I would make the biggest comparison. And I say this as a person with a lot of very complicated feelings about Harry Potter now um, that I would liken Avatar to where JKR is the sole like screenwriter for the Fantastic Beast franchise, like how that goes so wrong. Like in terms of the first entry of that series is like setting up new characters, setting up new worlds, setting up all of this stuff. And I think I think Avatar definitely has more staying power than Fantastic Beasts, but I do think that those films have a lot more similar problems because they are based they are not based on this uh, like a text that kind of grounds it. And this person was just the the visionary behind the film was given kind of free reign to do what they want because they're a big name and they, and they do what they want. And to, I think Avatar does Cameron's vision and goes for it a lot more successfully than a certain uh, problematic uh, author. But I, yeah, I, I would liken those two more similarly here because they don't have that larger cultural artifact propping them up. Mm-hmm. So something that you said, I'm rebutting. It's not a, a rebuttal. It is a yes and. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I think you're both on to something. Yeah. The, I think the reason that we haven't seen it seem to have the same impact, seem is a very important word there, is because it is self-contained within the movie. There is not a sequel. There's not been a sequel. There's not been novel. There's not been a novel series. We are finally, I can't believe they waited this long. We're finally getting a huge, big budget video game coming out in a couple oh, years from Ubisoft. Okay. I, I'm kind of amazed it took this long to happen. Um, from Ubisoft? Ubisoft. Though? Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, okay. it's still from a, a very a AAA yeah. developer. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. There's not really a lot of ways to engage with Avatar beyond the movie itself, right? I mean, there's a director's cut you can look at. So I, I think the big thing is we we didn't get the sequels in rapid succession, so it just seemed like it evaporated. You know, you think Lord of the Rings, those came out back to back to back three years in a row. Harry Potter, we were getting one every year and a half. Star Wars, the original trilogy, it was three years apart per movie. Yeah. Uh, and then, yes, there was a long, long time after that before we got more movies. But in that downtime, there were novelizations, there were video games, games yeah. lots of things to That's engage That's very with, true. Where I don't think Avatar has that. I, th- I think Avatar has had staying power, whether we realized it or not, because fun fact, within 24 hours, that teaser trailer for Avatar The Way of Water had more views than like the last three Star Wars movies combined on YouTube. Oh, wow. So okay. to say it's like, uh, it's not culturally relevant, but a lot of people watch it's, that trailer yeah, a lot of times. A slow burn cultural impact. Yeah. And, and this yeah. is another point. Oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm also like, one thing I'm remembering is I'm, I'm remembering this as... 
an American ultimately like in that bingo. Yeah. We're That's not. <laughs> very true. That's very true. Um, another cultural impact that I keep forgetting to bring up is the, um, this was real during the time. And I only learned this from watching reviews and reading reviews that came out during that Oh nine ish period that people had post avatar depression, Yes, that they could not be Navi and they could not become one of these beautiful they just wanted to go creatures. back to Pandora. They oh. wanted to live in Pandora. People were actively like, that was like a thing. There's yes. there. You should absolutely quick aside. Um, and so, since we didn't discuss like related media, uh, there's an episode of H- it is a comedy series, but it's uh, HBO's how to with John Wilson, okay. the episode, how to remember your dreams. The entire <laughs> last half of that episode is about an avatar. And this was filmed. I think Wave Water, well, yeah, it was already announced, but it was, uh, he he goes into a, he stumbles upon um, an avatar uh, focus group or an avatar, <laughs> like focus group, like an avatar fan club group, oh, okay. basically. And they're like the only ones. And like, there's this like implication that they're the only ones who truly like remember Avatar and still continue to actively celebrate it. And it it's a trip. You should definitely see if you want to, a very, very easy to grasp example of the post Avatar depression. It is exactly that episode. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. It's, again, I think that's, I think, I think if we'd had sequels that had come out within yeah. three years of this movie. Right. I, I think we would have a different conversation, which is why I'm really curious about how big the way of water is going to be, because this long between sequels, typically you're like, I don't know. But James Cameron, yeah. don't ever it, don't it, don't bet against James Cameron. I think, he, we've been wrong every time. I think I could. I'm I'm actually interested. I'm optimistic for the sequel. And I also think that people want this. I I mean, all the cultural narratives aside, people want this escapism because the world feels so bleak at times and we're coming out of this pandemic and everyone is struggling. I'm struggling, freaking everyone I've known, I've talked to in the past couple of years, they're struggling because life has gotten really hard. And like, what a way to come back and being like, life can be beautiful and life can be tragic, but then there's this larger meaning to the tragedy. It's not just senseless tragedy, which is what it's felt like for Two years. Well, and one thing we didn't get to touch on just because due to time uh, is uh, there's a the huge environmental uh, underpinnings of this yeah. film that I think are even far. They were very relevant at the time and they are way more relevant now. hundred percent. And uh, I think there's a lot of power in that seeing like the the potential beauty that nature has to offer on the big screen that way is uh, pretty enti- could be pretty enticing to a lot of folks. Yeah. I, uh, I just personally can't wait to see the headline that's like. <laughs> Way of the water fails in comparison to its predecessor, and then the like subline below that's like film only grosses one point four billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's the okay. They, to, to put a pin in it, if the sequel is even half as successful, yeah, it's still a movie that makes almost one and a half billion dollars, right? Which and, is bigger than any movie. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the four and five will be immediately greenlit if that's the case. All right, guys. Well, we are out of time. Alexandra Bohannon, thank you so much for joining oh, us today. It's been a pleasure you. podcasting with you again. Oh, so fun. What If people want to engage with you on the internet, do they have a means in which to do that? Uh, Kind of. I'm kind of just evaluating my social media usage in the post-pandemic, uh, if you can say that, uh, in, in post-pandemic life. So you can follow, find me on LinkedIn. I guess that's probably the thing I'm the most active on now, unfortunately. That might be the first LinkedIn bump this show has ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's my name in LinkedIn because I really don't do much with anything else. Um, it's you good could for health. Also, it's good yeah. for health. 
send me an email if you're feeling spicy. <laughs> I don't Ooh. know. Wow. Then email engaging via email and uh, listeners, if you send it to the cinematropolis at gmail.com and, and it will get to me, to Alex, I will make sure it's forwarded to her. A hundred percent. Daniel Bokemper, where can people keep up with you online? Yeah, likewise, not terribly active, but I will always share the uh, the Cinematropolis things I'm doing. So Bingo. you can find me on the Cinematropolis on Twitter. Just try to spell my name. You'll find it. Uh, it's Daniel Bokemper. <laughs> you'll it'll Google. There, there's an underscore it. in there, Daniel. You're, oh, you're yes, selling Daniel yourself underscore Bokemper. But but the point being is just spell Bokemper however you want. And you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, of course, on the Cinematropolis, occasionally at World Literature Today. Uh, dot org and uh yeah just keep watching movies y'all that's great and uh, of course you can find everything we do here at the cinematropolis at the cinematropolis.com or on our facebook page facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or on twitter at the cinematrop you can find me tweeting about films television and video games mostly house of the dragon and sometimes movies right now on my twitter at c masters talk that's letter c masters talk thank you so much everyone for tuning in and uh i hope you can Find the happiness in Pandora that so many people felt in 2009, and we'll talk to you again about Avatar. Avatar.